From New York, this is Democracy Now! The situation in Shifa Hospital now are very critical. Uh, nothing happened like this before. There is direct uh, targeting of the hospital, hospital buildings. So uh, our colleagues there, they barely communicate with the, other, with the outside community. Gaza's two largest hospitals are no longer functioning as hospitals as they run out of fuel and are surrounded by Israeli forces. Doctors at Al-Shifa Hospital are desperately trying to keep alive over 30 premature babies after six babies die due to the power outage. We'll speak to a pediatric intensive care physician who works with the humanitarian aid organization Medicine Sans Frontieres, that's Doctors Without Borders. Then we remember the Palestinian doctor Hamam Alov, who was killed Saturday when an Israeli artillery shell struck his wife's home, killing him, his father, his brother-in-law, and his father-in-law. The doctor spoke to Democracy Now! two weeks ago about why he continued to risk his life to help patients in Gaza. You think I went to medical school and for my postgraduate degrees for a total of 14 years, so I think only about my life and not my patients. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Gaza's two largest hospitals, al-Shifa and al-Quds, have closed as Gaza's health system collapses under relentless Israeli bombardment and blockades. At least six premature babies and nine other patients have died at al-Shifa due to the shortages of electricity. Photos show premature babies removed from their incubators, placed together on a bed for warmth as the last remaining hospital workers are forced to resort to desperate measures. Medical staff say Israeli forces have entered hospitals and fired at patients and forced hundreds of others onto the streets. Doctors and officials with the Palestinian Ministry of Health pleaded with international actors to allow for the safe evacuation and treatment of patients. Dr. Mohammed Kandil directs the emergency department at Al-Shifa. Hospital under, under fires. The last example is Shifa Hospital ICU. There is another private obstetric hospital was targeted directly today. And two of our colleagues who are specialists in obstetric and gynecology were killed tonight. There is no service for pediatric patients in the northern area. Five kids in the pediatric ICU left alone in Rantisa Hospital, and we don't know what's going on with them. The communication were lost, so they might be dead or alive. So. Now in Shifa Hospital, they cannot deal with the dead bodies. There is a tenth of dead bodies back in the hospital. Nearly 200 medical workers have been reported killed since October 7th. Among the dead is Al-Shifa's Dr. Hamam Alo, whose family home was shelled by Israel. We spoke to Dr. Alo less than two weeks ago. Later in the broadcast, we'll play that whole interview. In Geneva, U.N. staff observed a minute of silence today in memory of the 101 employees of the U.N.'s Palestinian refugee agency known as UNRWA, who've been killed in Israel's assault on Gaza. 
Palestinian health officials say it's impossible to determine an updated death toll due to communications outages, but said on Sunday at least 11,100 people have been killed since the start of the conflict, including 8,000 children and women. On Friday, Israel's foreign ministry lowered its official death toll from Hamas's October 7th attack in Israel to 1,200 people, down from 1,400. Mass displacement continues as Gazans continue to flee southwards, despite Israeli attacks also targeting southern cities like Khan Yunis, where another 13 people were killed in an Israeli airstrike. This is a displaced Palestinian. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. My son was injured and there was not a single hospital I could take him to so he could get stitches. There is no water. There isn't enough salt water we can wash our hands with. There is no water for ablution. Their bodies fill in Gaza streets. And there are still people there hoping that it will be solved soon. But only God knows if it will be solved, if they will live, or if they will die. We were forced to leave. It wasn't up to us. The whole world has let us down. The progressive world that boasts about human rights has let us down. The White House says it's in active consultations with Israel's military over fighting in and around hospitals. On Friday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said far too many Palestinians have been killed in Gaza, but the U.S. has yet to call for a ceasefire or reconsider any of its unconditional military aid to Israel. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, called on Israel to stop killing women, babies and elderly people in Gaza and, for the first time since the assault started, called for a ceasefire. I think this is the only solution we have, this ceasefire, because it's impossible to explain we want to fight against terrorism by killing innocent people. President Macron said he hoped other countries, including the U.S. and the U.K., would join in the call for a ceasefire. France last month banned Palestinian solidarity protests. In Britain, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak fired hard-right Home Secretary Suella Braverman after she called protests for Palestinian rights hate marches, and published an op-ed last week accusing London police force of using double standards in dealing with protesters against the war. Braverman was accused of fomenting right-wing hatred. In a surprising move, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has brought back former Prime Minister David Cameron to act as foreign secretary amidst a wider cabinet reshuffle. Mary Lou MacDonald, the head of Sinn Féin, is calling on Irish and European leaders to take action against Israel's assault on Gaza. Where is the protection of international law for every child killed in Gaza, for every Gazan mother holding the cold body of their dead child? Israel cannot be allowed to commit atrocities with impunity. The government says that Israel's actions cannot be without consequences. I agree. That is why the Irish government must take the lead and refer Israel to the International Criminal Court and send the Israeli ambassador home. 
Mary Lou McDonald spoke at Sinn Féin's annual conference, where a Palestinian ambassador to Ireland, Dr. Jilan Waba Abdelmajid, also spoke and was met with a standing ovation. Meanwhile, massive demonstrations continue to fill streets around the world, demanding a ceasefire and an end to Israel's siege on Gaza. Up to 300,000 people marched in London over the weekend. Around 80 were arrested. Protests also continued here in the United States, including a series of family-centered protests. Children accompanied family members to march to the homes of President Biden in Delaware and New York Senator Chuck Schumer here in New York. Israel's military says seven soldiers and 10 other people were injured Sunday in a rocket attack by Hezbollah fighters from southern Lebanon. It was the worst cross-border violence between Israel and Lebanon since an Israeli airstrike a week prior killed a Lebanese woman and three children. On Sunday, Israel's minister of defense, Yoav Gallant, warned Hezbollah against further attacks on Israel, adding, quote, what we are doing in Gaza, we can do in Beirut, unquote. The Pentagon says U.S. warplanes have carried out two more airstrikes in Syria in response to dozens of drone and missile attacks on bases housing Pentagon forces in Syria and Iraq that have injured at least 56 military personnel. Reuters reports one of the U.S. strikes targeted a camp run by pro-Iranian armed groups in Deir al-Zur province. Another struck near a bridge close to the city of Mayadeen, close to the Iraqi border. It's at least the third round of U.S. airstrikes in Syria in just over two weeks. In Sudan, human rights groups say members of the Rapid Support Forces paramilitary group carried out a massacre of around 1,300 Masalit people over three days earlier this month in Sudan's West Darfur region. About 2,000 people were injured in the attacks, and at least 300 others remain missing. Survivors of the massacre say RSF fighters went from house to house looking for men, killing each one they found. On Friday, the United Nations warned more than 6 million people have fled their homes in Sudan since fighting between rival military factions erupted in April. About 25 million people, or more than half Sudan's population, is reliant on aid. This is the UN's humanitarian coordinator for Sudan. Being out of words to describe the horror of what is happening in Sudan. We continue to receive unrelenting and appalling reports of sexual and gender-based violence, enforced disappearance, arbitrary detentions, and grave violations of human and children's rights. What is happening is verging on pure evil. In Spain, major protests rocked Madrid and other cities over the weekend after acting Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez agreed to grant amnesty to leaders of the Catalan separatist group Junts in exchange for their support to form a new government, which would secure another term for Sánchez as Spain's leader. Carles Puigdemont, head of Junts, has been exiled in Brussels since he and others were convicted over Catalonia's attempt to secede from Spain in 2017. The proposed amnesty deal would allow separatist leaders to run for office. Sanchez's conservative opponents have slammed the deal and urged their supporters to take to the streets. Sanchez and his Socialist Workers' Party formed a coalition with the leftist Sumar Alliance last month and made a series of progressive pledges. Australia has signed an agreement with Tuvalu, allowing citizens of the low-lying Pacific Island nation to take up residency 
in Australia, should rising sea levels force them to abandon their homes. About 11,000 residents of Tuvalu are among the world's most vulnerable to the effects of the climate crisis. In return for offering them residency, Australia will have effective veto power over Tuvalu's security arrangements with any other country. Australia's foreign minister, Penny Wong, acknowledged the deal was aimed at countering China's influence in the Asia-Pacific. We recognise we live in a more contested region, uh, and uh, we, we have to work harder to be a partner of choice. Uh, we know that. Uh, and unlike the previous government, uh, we have been doing the work and we will do the work uh, to work with the Pacific uh, Island Forum members to assure Australia's presence as a member of the family and as a partner of choice. And FBI agents seized the electronic devices from New York City Mayor Eric Adams last week as part of an investigation into whether his 2021 campaign received illegal donations from Turkey. Adams' two cell phones and iPad were returned days later. The seizure came in the wake of a federal raid on the home of Adams' chief campaign fundraiser. The alleged donation scheme is believed to involve foreign businesses who use Turkish-American citizens as straw donors to funnel money into Eric Adams' mayoral campaign. Federal investigators are also said to be looking into whether Adams, shortly before he was elected mayor, pressured the New York Fire Department into approving occupancy of a new Turkish consulate in Manhattan, despite safety concerns with the high-rise building. Adams reportedly pushed to open the building in time for a planned visit by the Turkish president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, to New York to attend the 2021 U.N. General Assembly. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott announced he's dropping out of the 2024 presidential race. Scott, the only black Republican U.S. senator, did not immediately endorse another candidate. Just two months out from the first nominating contest in Iowa, Donald Trump remains the Republican Party's clear frontrunner, despite his myriad legal troubles. And in California, jury has found the animal rights activist and attorney Wayne Chung guilty of three charges, including felony conspiracy to trespass after he led direct action protests in 2018 and 19 that rescued ducks and chickens from factory farms in Sonoma County. Chung faces up to three and a half years at a sentencing hearing scheduled for November 30th. He spoke to Democracy Now! after his arrest in 2019. If you or I tortured an individual dog, we would clearly be subject to the criminal laws of the state of California. Yet when a factory farm does this on massive scale, on a scale a million times larger than an individual person abusing a single animal, it's seen as industry standard and therefore completely immune from prosecution. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. When we come back, we speak to a pediatric intensive care physician with Doctors Without Borders about how Gaza's two largest hospitals are no longer functioning. Back in a minute. I don't know what you haven't told. His present will be past. You'll ride the time to another state of mind that won't last. He'll grow and die And they would set him free Yet I shouted These children are I The child will grow and fall and crawl Until he would not feel Upon them purple gods And these ten almost years I let I set the fire on those kitchens wall. 
Children Are I by Nasha Rahas. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Gaza's two largest hospitals, Al Shifa and Al Quds, have stopped functioning as Gaza's health system collapses under relentless Israeli bombardment and blockades. On Saturday, Al Shifa Hospital ran out of fuel, forcing doctors to remove dozens of premature babies from incubators. Six preemies have already died. Doctors are struggling to keep more than 30 other babies alive. Palestinian health officials have accused Israel of using snipers to shoot at people inside the hospital complex where thousands of displaced Palestinians have sought refuge. Israel's claimed Hamas runs a command center below the hospital. Hamas and medical officials at the hospital have denied the claim. On Sunday, Dr. Mohammed Obeid, a surgeon with Doctors Without Borders, described the dire situation inside the hospital. The situation now is very bad. We don't have connection. There is no internet. Sometimes we have some reason in the call phone. We're on the fourth floor. And also there's a sniper who attack four patients from the inside the hospital. One of them has the gunshot directly in his neck and he has a quadriplegia. And the other one, he has a gunshot in the abdomen. Some of the people which actually go outside the hospital, they want to go to the south, they bump them also. They bump the family from the city hospital today in the morning. There is no electricity actually. There is no water. There is no food. So our team is exhausted. Uh, we have uh, two new patient by actually because the incubator it's not working because there is no electricity also we have other patient in the ICU he died because the ventilator is shut down because there is no electricity we can see actually the smoking uh, the smoke around the hospital they hit everything around the hospital and they hit the hospital many times that was Dr. Mohammed Obeid, a surgeon with MSF, Doctors Without Borders, inside the Al Shifa Hospital. On Sunday, Democracy Now! reached another doctor in Gaza City, Dr. Fadel Naim. Uh, we are we at Al Ahli Arab Hospital, the Baptist Hospital, are the only functioning hospital in the Gaza City. All the injured people and other uh, people like uh, people with hypertension or diabetes mitis or diarrhea or uh, asthma or children with uh, dehydration, uh, cancer patients, uh, patients with kidney failure who need dialysis, uh, pregnant women, uh, and uh, other uh, cases are coming to our hospital because they have no other possibility to go to other hospitals. The other hospitals are surrounded by the Israeli tankers, like the biggest hospital in Gaza, Shifa Hospital, uh, and Nasser Pediatric Hospital. Uh, some of the uh, angel hospitals are closed because uh, of the, uh, the um, <coughs> shortage in foil and uh, equipment. Uh, since yesterday, we received more than 300 to 400 uh, injured people 
and uh, tens of uh, other uh, people who had other uh, health problems. Uh, we uh, had to do some uh, surgical interventions in the corridors uh, and on the courtyard uh, because of the shortage of uh, anesthesia, uh, drugs. Our biggest problem is the uh, shortage in manpower because we are a small hospital. We are not prepared to receive such like uh, like these numbers of patients at one time. Many volunteers came to help us, but we need specialized doctors in different specialties, uh, in general surgery, in neurosurgery, chest surgery, vascular surgery, and gynecology, in uh, pediatric, uh, pediat pediatricians. Uh, unfortunately, we uh, couldn't help many of these patients. Some of them uh, died uh, because we couldn't do uh, we couldn't do anything for them. That was Dr. Fadel Naim speaking Sunday from Al Ahli Al Arabi Hospital in Gaza City. To talk more about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, we're joined by Dr. Tanya Haj Hassan. She's a pediatric intensive care physician who works with the humanitarian aid organization Medicine Sans Frontieres, MSF, or Doctors Without Borders. She's in regular contact with health professionals in Gaza and previously worked as a medical trainer in Gaza and the West Bank. She's the co-founder of the social media account Gaza Medic Voices, which shares firsthand accounts from healthcare professionals in Gaza. On Saturday, she took part in a vigil outside British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's office in London. She broke down while reading an urgent message from the director of Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza, Dr. Nidal Hadrous. We, as medical staff, want to leave, but we cannot. We might not survive until the morning. Dr. Haj Hassan breaks down as she tries to read a statement from the doctor in Gaza. She sits down, she covers her eyes. Her colleagues also, in blue hospital gear, put their arms on her. We might not survive till the morning. We don't want to be killed here just only because we remain committed to our patients and our medical profession. I am calling for help urgently. Please do whatever you can through your government or the international, the ICRC, the Red Cross, to arrange a safe corridor for the medical staff. Please treat this as top urgent. This is the director of the major trauma hospital in Gaza. I'm gonna leave you with one more message. To bomb a hospital means to terrify sleeping patients, to break windows over their heads, to make the walls tip onto their bodies, to rip out ventilators and burn oxygen tanks, to ruin equipment that can help human millions of times. That was Dr. Tanya Hashhassan, pediatric intensive care physician who works with the humanitarian aid group. Doctors Without Borders, reading an urgent message from the director of Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza, Dr. Nidal Hadrous. 
Dr. Hashasan, thank you so much for joining us. You must be, to say the least, beyond exhausted. You were reading that statement in London. I last saw you in Jordan, and now you're in Toronto, Canada. Can you talk about the latest? That was Saturday. This is now two days later. Yeah. Just to be clear, you know, this was a vigil with multiple healthcare providers present who have been working in the Gaza Strip for, for over a decade. And we're, we're all in tears. I mean, every day we feel like we've reached the worst. And, and I'm going to quote one of my colleagues in Gaza, uh, a young female surgeon who said, every day we think that we've reached the worst thing that could ever happen. And it's impossible that the world will be silent to it. And it will definitely get better. And we finally reached the end. And then the next day it proves that there's something even worse. And, and, and I, I share that sentiment. We, we have descended into a very dark era for humanity. Let me just paint a picture for you of the conditions as far as I know them right now um, at El Shifa Hospital. I'd been receiving updates up, up until about an hour and a half ago. It's very difficult to receive updates. As you know, communication has been cut off, so they're intermittent. There's uh, certain uh, individuals who have intermittent connection. El Shifa Hospital is the largest trauma hospital in Gaza. It is under complete siege. It has been come, come under a, a direct attack by uh, Israeli forces for over a week now. The medical staff, including Médecins Sans Frontières, MSF staff, are, are, are physically in the hospital at the moment. There are patients there with, in critical condition, hundreds of patients. And there are thousands of internally displaced individuals who are still inside that hospital, completely under siege, surrounded by, by Israeli tanks. They have no access to food. They're surviving on, on minimal dates and biscuits that are left in the hospital. They have no access to water. They describe being very thirsty. And as you know, they have no access to electricity. After the fuel supply was cut off, the electricity supply was cut off, and more recently, the solar panels were bombed. They describe over 100 bodies lying on the ground, decomposing, dead bodies that they cannot bury. This is after having to dig mass graves in the garden of the hospital. The morgues cannot be cooled to preserve the bodies. As you know, there's no electricity. So they're decomposing. The intensive care unit was targeted twice in the last 24 hours. There are 28 patients there. Two of them have passed away over the course of the evening. These are the adult patients. They have no access to oxygen. Dialysis patients who require electricity to run the dialysis machines because they have kidney failure do not have access to those dialysis machines. I can describe to you in detail what death will look like for these patients. Toxins will develop in their, in their bloodstream. They will become overloaded with fluid because they cannot pee it out. They cannot pee the toxins out either. They will feel very unwell. They will probably get very confused. They'll have difficulty breathing, and eventually they'll die. This is a slow, horrible, painful death, preventable, painful death, like all the deaths in Gaza. Anyone who moved inside the hospital is getting directly killed. Two nurses were killed by snipers in the last 24 hours. Anyone who tries to leave the hospital is targeted. You mentioned the 38 premature newborns, three of whom who've died are currently outside of their incubators at risk of hypothermia without access to oxygen. And I'm not sure how they're going to provide them with all the things they need, including food. 
This is an entire hospital that's completely cut off, and, and we've had very little to no news from the other hospitals in the north of Gaza. Last we heard, they're completely surrounded, like El Shifa Hospital. And, you know, it, it, we're, we're in a situation where there has been a systematic attempt to destroy civilian Palestinian uh, livelihood and existence in, in all of Gaza, not just the north. 30% of the killed have been in the south of Gaza, which is supposed to be the safe zone. Humanitarian corridors or, or so-called humanitarian corridors are called the corridor of death by Gazans because they get directly targeted as they're trying to flee on these corridors. You know, Doctors Without Borders, and I mentioned we're really struggling to contact a lot of the staff. One of uh, my colleagues who, who I know at Shifa said, we, we, are, we are sure we are alone now. No one hears us. We are alone. MSF was established, one of the main principles of MSF's establishment by journalists and doctors decades ago was to provide testimony, this concept of témoignage, which means bearing witness, to provide testimony, to bear witness on these sorts of atrocities that we don't, that are not exposed, and to relieve the suffering of those who experience them. And, and we're in a situation where, where we can't do either of those things. The, one of our MSF uh, staff who, who is staying in Gaza City, but, but not physically in the hospital at the, at the moment, said there are dead people on the streets. I'm going to read his quote. There are dead people on the streets. We see people being shot at. We can see injured people. We can hear them crying for help. But we cannot do anything. It is too dangerous to go outside. A ambulances cannot reach the wounded. You mentioned Dr. Um, uh, Hamam uh, Alul earlier, who was on your program a couple days ago describing how he had refused uh, how he had re refused to leave uh, the hospital and desert his patients. I, I, I knew Dr. Hamam. He was a beacon of light. He, he's a gift to the world of medicine and his patients. He was a brilliant nephrologist, was one of the most highly trained uh, doctors in Gaza. He was transforming the care of, of patients with chronic renal disease, the same patients that I told you are now subject to a slow and horrifying death. He spent a decade learning how to serve his people. He also has a very young family. He was killed in his wife's home, along with his father. His father, his father-in-law, and his brother-in-law. His young children and the rest under the rubble at the moment, and they've been calling out to the Red Cross to try and try and help evacuate, and the Red Cross cannot reach them for all the reasons that I mentioned. You know, I, I can't believe that I'm having to say this, but health care providers, health care facilities, civilians have to be protected. I, I, you know, he, he mentioned uh, in, in his interview to you that We're having a little trouble with Dr. Hashassan's uh, Skype. Um, we're you, going to play that you, interview. Dr. Haj Hassan, can you hear me? Well, I can. I, you're breaking up a bit. I wanted to bring in another doctor into this conversation as uh, you talk about um, the doctor whose interview we are going to play in just a minute. Dr. Ben Thompson was also a friend and a colleague of Dr. Hamam Alo. 
Uh, he's a nephrologist in Toronto, where you are now, too. Um, Dr. Ben Thompson, can you also tell us about Dr. Hanam Alo? We're going to play the full interview in just a moment that we did with him just two weeks ago. Thank you, Ms. Goodman. I mean, Dr. Hamam Alo, as my colleague from Médecins Sans Frontières said, was an incredible human being, a committed physician, wonderful father. Um, when I was at his home in September in Gaza City, I was joking with him because I said, you're such an optimist. You know, he was absolutely convinced. He insisted that if the world knew what was happening in Gaza, that it would intervene and that it would end the suffering for people in Gaza. Um, like so many doctors in Gaza over the last month, faced with horrible circumstances, he remained committed to his patients. He cared for them, despite everything that he faced. The very first interview he did, um, as he was speaking truth to the world about the horrors that he was experiencing in Gaza, his own home was bombed. Windows the front door of his house blew off. He went to check on his children. He went to check on his father that lived with him. He put them in a room, and then he came back and finished the interview. And the very next day, he went to work. This was his level of commitment. Um, I'm convinced that if he was here sitting and he was here talking to you, he would have been very clear what he wanted. You know, he was an optimist, yes, and... He had good days and bad days over the last month. When we spoke every day, he would talk about how he was committed to developing education programs for today's doctors and the doctors of tomorrow in Gaza. But he also had very difficult days, faced with the very difficult circumstances that he faced every day, um, seeing his colleagues being killed, working in hospitals with no water, no food, no electricity, knowing that his patients who required dialysis, three tre dialysis treatments three times a week to survive knowing that they'd be dead within a week without electricity, all thousand of them throughout Gaza would be dead, knowing that he still went to work. And those good days where he talked to me about education, he also had bad days. And on those bad days, he would tell me, he was speaking of the horrors that he was seeing. He was experiencing war crimes. He was witnessing them. He would tell me he was experiencing a genocide of his own people. It was horrible. Um, you know, I think at this point, politicians are embarrassing themselves by their inaction. He would have been very clear. He would have wanted, there's things that he would have wanted that I can talk to you about. But, you know, I think we need to remember Dr. Hamam, like many physicians in Gaza, was incredibly committed to his patients. How did he die, Dr. Thompson? How did he die? He was hit in an airstrike. Um, he was at his wife's uh, home. He was um, with his father, with his father-in-law and his brother-in-law. His wife and two children, who are four and five years old, were at uh, his own home, so they survived. But while he was at his wife's home, um, an Israeli airstrike uh, on his home killed, killed all of them in the home. So... Dr. Thompson, if you can tell me about your own situation um, in Toronto, I mean, to say the least, that's very different from Gaza. But you were suspended for a month 
after you and the hospital were threatened over your comments that you tweeted on X. Um, can you talk about this? I think like many people around the world, um, I have experienced um, bullying, harassment, and other negative consequences to speaking out for Palestine. Um, in my situation, I had death threats. I was suspended from the hospital. I had a difficult month, but the reality is my worst day over the last month is nothing compared to, you know, the best day of anyone in the last month in Gaza is is still worse than my worst day. Um, and the reality is people like Dr. Hamam would want us to think about, you know, what what do we need right now? Yes, I suffered death threats, but the reality is Dr. Hamam was killed. And a couple hundred other healthcare professionals in Gaza have been killed. And it behooves us right now to think, what do we have to do? We must have an immediate ceasefire. We must have rapid and unimpeded access to humanitarian aid. And, you know, speaking with Dr. Hamam at his house in September, he talked about the fact he wanted his children to be able to see a day when they had a free, just, durable, free life in Palestine without occupation. Uh, we spoke of this often, um, and I think it behooves us now as an international community. Yes, many of us have been threatened. The reality is much, much worse for our colleagues in Gaza. The reality is we absolutely need to have a ceasefire, humanitarian aid, and there must be a durable, peaceful, just solution for a free Palestine. I want to bring um, Dr. Tanya Hassan back into the conversation. We're having a little trouble with your Skype and ask you to respond to what Israel's saying, that um, they are attacking the hospital because Hamas has used it as underneath it, at least, or all around it, it is not exactly clear, as command and control. You know, I get this, this I, I get asked this question all the time. I got asked this question in 2014. The same accusations were made in 2008, 2009, 2014, 2021. These aren't new accusations. It's also not new that there that those accusations have not been substantiated. I have worked in these hospitals. I can tell you what they are with certainty. They are healthcare facilities caring for patients with limited resources as a consequence of a 16-year siege and with healthcare professionals who are the most dedicated doctors, nurses, paramedics, pharmacists that I have met in my entire life. And Dr. Hamam Alul is the perfect example of that, as are Dr. Maisara and every single doctor who has been killed and nurse and paramedic and microbiologist. I mean, over 200 healthcare providers have been killed to date, and they have been screaming for international protection. So I can tell you that they are functioning health facilities caring for patients. And regardless of whether accusations of military activity around those hospitals are substantiated, it is an international, it, is, it would be considered a war crime to target them if they are functioning as a healthcare facility, and they are. That I am confident of. 
I am also confident that I have never personally seen any evidence of military activity in and around these hospitals. And that is the most that I can I can say to this. And I, I want to I think that the important thing to remember is we keep getting sucked into these arguments where we're justifying these these preposterous justifications for 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 the violation of international law. And instead of constantly trying to 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 defend something that's completely to defend against something that's completely preposterous, I think we need to refocus on what is clear. What is clear is over 11,000 Gazans have been killed to date. Almost 200 Palestinians in the West Bank have been killed. Healthcare facilities are directly targeted with intent. Ambulances are directly targeted with intent. The entire infrastructure of a, a, a civilian population, everything that is needed, that is indispensable to their survival, from food to water to medical facilities to their shelter, everything has been targeted, intentionally targeted and destroyed. That is what we should be focusing on. There, there are also, you know, almost 5,000 children who have been killed that we know of, but we don't have statistics from the last 48 hours because they have completely destroyed the ability to even uh, expose these atrocities. And, I, you know, the last message that Dr. Hamam Alul had sent uh, just a few hours before he was killed to one of my colleagues, he said, your, your shouting means a lot to us. Please keep it up. And I hope what uh, Dr. Ben Thompson, what myself, what every humanitarian uh, doctor or, or, or provider or, or human out there who is screaming about these atrocities, we, we paint this horrific picture. And I hope it inspires your viewers, the politicians everywhere to get up and respond to this avalanche of suffering with an avalanche of solidarity and action, because this is not a world that I want to live in. This is not a world that my colleagues want to live in. And this is not a world that we want to raise uh, the next generation of children in. We have museums all around the world that remind us that this is not what we want for humanity. And this is our opportunity to, to assert that. Dr. Hash Hassan, there is a new acronym that was coined in Gaza over the last few weeks, WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. Can you explain? Yeah, I mean, over 1,000 families uh, um, and ha have been killed. They've had at least two members of their families killed uh, in the last month. Many families are completely wiped out because these are, are uh, I don't know much about weapons, but I can tell you they are very uh, violent weapons that wipe out entire multi-story residential buildings where families are sheltering in seconds. And you have had uh, so many families wiped off of the civil registry. Sometimes a child survives and not infrequently one person in the family survives. And so it ha was happening so frequently that they had to coin a term for it and sometimes even write it on the bodies of the patients. Sometimes they even just write the words unknown because it's a child with no surviving family to even identify the child. And, you know, it's not just WCNSF. That is the acronym that has been coined by the Gazan medics. But there's also WMNSF, Wounded Mother, No Surviving Family, WFNSF, Wounded Father, No Surviving Family. These aren't acronyms that are used, but they are realities on the ground. Doctor one of the last messages 
Dr. Tanya Hashasan, I'm going to cut you off, but only so that we can hear this last interview um, that we did, um, uh, the last interview um, with Hamoum Alo. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being with us, uh, Dr. Tanya Haj Hassan, pediatric intensive care physician with Doctors Without Borders. And I want to thank Dr. Ben Thompson, a friend and colleague of Dr. Hamam Alo, um, who, again, was killed this weekend in an airstrike. The nephrologist in Toronto, Dr. Ben Thompson, traveled to Gaza twice a year since 2013. His charity is called Keys of Health. We're going to break and then come back to here. Dr. Hamam Alo's last words. Stay with us. Memory of a Palestinian Wound by Amal Merkis. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. Nearly 200 medical workers have been reported killed in Gaza since October 7th. Over the weekend, Democracy Now! learned that Dr. Hamam Alo was killed Saturday when an Israeli artillery shell struck his family home, killing him, his father, his brother-in-law, and his father-in-law. Dr. Allo was a kidney specialist, a nephrologist, who worked at Al-Shifa, the largest hospital in Gaza. He was 36 years old. He leaves behind his wife and two children, a four- and a five-year-old. Dr. Hamam Allo spoke to Democracy Now! on October 31st in one of his last interviews. Dr. Hamam Allo, you've said every day I see a fear in their eyes that I can't do much about. It's very painful. If you have kids, you know how horrible it is not to be able to comfort them, to ensure they're all right, to make them hope for anything beyond living one more day. Um, if you can talk about that in the hospital, which, as you said, is not just a hospital for sick people, thousands are taking refuge at Al-Shifa and Al-Quds and the other hospitals. And also, we're talking to you as you just left Al-Shifa. How do you comfort your family? What's happening to your family as you're at the hospital? I tell them at least we still have a house with the door to close. Uh, but many thousand refugees, people like us who used to uh, live in dignity, have no longer houses and no doors to close to, to protect them. They are uh, surrounded by wastewater, by garbage. Uh, they don't have uh, adequate continuous supply of clean water to drink. Uh, many of them... Uh, uh, have uh, um, a lot of missing members of their families. Uh, they don't know if they are alive or not. At, I tell them at least we still have a house to live in, but they don't have. And surprisingly, my four- and five-year-old kids, they accept this as, as a comfort, as, as, as a better situation compared to those refugees living 
they are living actually in hospitals, but it's it's not like they are living inside uh, the hospital departments. Many of them do not have uh, enough space to go into into hospital hallways. So so they are living around the, uh, the 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 buildings and in the garden. So yeah, surprisingly, my my very young kids accept this. The Israeli military has dropped thousands of pamphlets warning people where you are in northern Gaza to leave. Um, why don't you go with your family south? And, and if I go, who treats my patients? They are not animals. They have the right to receive proper health care. The World Health Organization talked about this issue of telling doctors to leave their patients, choosing your own lives over your patients. Can you talk about that choice, since so many patients can't leave, for example, babies and incubators? You think I went to medical school and for my postgraduate degrees— for a total of 14 years, so I think only about my life and not my patients. I'm asking you, ma'am, do you think this is the reason why I went to med school? To think only about my life? This is not the reason why I became a doctor. Can you talk about what's happening to the hospitals? Just in our headlines today, we talked about, and in the last few days, the attack on the Indonesia hospital. Uh, The Turkish hospital is the only cancer hospital. Um, Can you talk about the significance of these places, both as a sanctuary, thousands of people taking refuge, uh, and for patients? Indonesian hospital is— Providing health care for over uh, 400,000 citizens in the Gaza Strip. And this part of the Gaza Strip is being split from the rest of the Gaza Strip. If this hospital uh, stops providing care, so we are exposing many thousand Palestinian souls to the dangers of disease and death. Turkish hospital, with its very modest capabilities, even before war, was the only hospital providing care uh, and medications for cancer patients from around the Gaza Strip. It was airstrike yesterday. Uh, I don't know how many uh, patients and healthcare professionals were wounded. And many patients are dying now because they are not uh, safe Uh, with their families to go to receive care and to continue their chemotherapy. Uh, The Ministry of Health has declared two hours ago also that the electricity would be cut off from Ashifa Hospital, the largest hospital representing 40% of the healthcare power in the Gaza Strip and providing services for many machine-dependent uh, patients, like the ventilated patients and the hemodialysis patients. So if electricity is cut out 
from this uh, in this hospital. So we are um, directly deciding those patients are going to necessarily die. Ventilated patients will, will die in minutes. Dialysis patients will die in hours to days from stopping from uh, from after stopping their uh, their hemodialysis. Uh, many patients are now being treated with the modest um, supplies we have. Um, many diabetic patients are now being admitted to the hospital because of their insulin is not being kept in the refrigerator, so it's not working. We are out. We are we ran out of many medications um, like antifungal medications. We have a patient who died earlier this week with mucormycosis. This is an invasive, ugly type of fungal infection that killed her because we had no amphotericin to offer her. So my very simple answer to your question is that. This thing is coming to so many people in the Gaza Strip in hours to days. If this continues the same way it's going on. Dr. Allo, the Middle East Eye uh, reports on a baby who died, says his death certificate has been issued before his birth certificate. A one-day-old baby has been killed by Israeli bombing in Gaza. Israel the military, uh, the government, uh, says that al-Shifa, your hospital, is Hamas—the yeah. uh, site of Hamas uh, command and control. Can you respond to that, Dr. Allo? I've been working this hospital for over two years, and I never saw this. So, um, I'm, I'm no lawyer, I'm no attorney, but um, this is how I'm simply applying. I never saw this for over two years. If this is true, I would see at least a clue. I want to ask you about the shipments of aid coming in. Normally, in normal times, if there's ever a normal time in Gaza, over 400 trucks a day. We're talking about a trickle of trucks now, maybe a dozen, maybe eight in a day. Have you ever seen this aid arriving at the hospital? And can you talk about what you need right now? Well, the, the that number you just mentioned that was allowed into Gaza Strip is actually is actually what you were referring to. It is nothing compared to what we need. Nothing compared to the shortage in supplies, machines, and medications we are in need for. Uh, the only thing I came just uh, as I was leaving the hospital today was uh, cartoons of IV fluid bottles. This is the only thing I saw. And I don't really know if this came uh, through uh, uh, through the uh, aid trucks in the uh, few couple of days, or that was uh, from the stores of the Ministry of Health. Of Health. In addition, I happened to ask about uh, in the in the hospital administration, and uh, what they mentioned that uh, was um, all about the gloves and goes. And this is not what we are actually only in need for. This is what maybe the least we care for, the least we are in need for. 
So um, this is, again, nothing compared to what we are in need for in terms of supplies and medications. Finally, Dr. Hamam Alo, um, your message at this point uh, to the United States, where we're based, um, and to the world? Actually, the message hasn't changed uh, since the beginning of this war. Uh, first, we need this war to end uh, because we are really humans, we are no animals. We have the right to live freely. Second, um, if you and your citizens to live under these circumstances, what would you do for them? This is what we exactly would like you to do for us as a superpower country, as the United States, because you are really as human as your as your U.S. citizens are. Um, we were expecting more um, earlier, I mean, solutions for that humanitarian and healthcare uh, catastrophes and the crises, but what we are seeing uh, mainly through trucks allowed into Gaza is nothing compared to us. So we are being exterminated, we are being massively eradicated, and um, you pretend to uh, to care for humanitarian and human rights, which is not what we are living now. To prove us wrong, please do something. Thank you. Dr. Hamam Allah speaking to us from Gaza City, where he works at the largest hospital, Al-Shifa Hospital. Please be safe. I hope I will be. Let's hope both together I will be. Thank you. Dr. Hamam Alo was speaking from Gaza on Democracy Now! on October 31st in one of his last interviews. He was killed Saturday when an Israeli artillery shell struck his wife's home, killing him, his father, his father-in-law, and his brother-in-law. Dr. Alo is a kidney specialist who worked at Al-Shifa, the largest hospital in Gaza City. He was 36 years old. He leaves behind a wife and two children, a four- and a five-year-old. Nearly 200 medical workers have been reported killed in Gaza since October 7th. And that does it for our show. To see all our interviews with doctors, with um, residents, with Israeli historians and scholars and peace activists, with Palestinian and Israeli peace activists and academics, human rights lawyers, go to democracynow.org. Democracy Now! is produced with Renee Fels, Mike Burke, Dina Guzder, Messiah Rhodes, Nermeen Sheikh, Maria Tarasena, Tammy Warrenov, Trina Nadura. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us.